0: Welcome to the REI Foundation podcast, where we cover all the steps and strategies to make your real estate dreams a reality. Now, your hosts, Jason and Peely. Hi, everybody, and welcome again to the REI Foundation podcast with Jason and Peely. So, today we welcome the awesome Nathan Tabor. Welcome, Nathan.
1: Hey, it's good to be here with you. Thanks for that opening of being awesome. Well, you are awesome. I mean, Jason's going to tell us all about you.
2: Yeah, so a quick intro on Nathan. Uh, he has built a life helping others and improving lives. And throughout his own experience and life, uh, Nathan has acquired an incredible ability to solve problems, develop game plans, and create real and lasting results in both his personal and professional life. He successfully founded and operated more than two, thousand, two dozen businesses, wow, since 1999, grossing over 100 million in sales. Awesome. His experience spans the areas of commercial real estate acquisition and redevelopment, automobile sales, direct product sales, web-based marketing, and strategic partnership facilitation. He's had amazing successes and epic failures, as all of us have, and learned more from his failures than his successes. After years of struggling to keep up with all the balls in the air, he learned that there are laws and processes that, when implemented, will deliver the desired results. And over the years, his companies have been honored in many awards and rankings. Okay, that's,
1: that's enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you see where we're going. Well, he's got more. You can look see? at his
2: website, he's got more you can uh, imagine from there. But Nathan, it's awesome. welcome to the show. We are excited to have you and, and just get back into it. We got so many different directions we can go. But since this is the REI Foundation podcast. We're going to start with just a simple question. How did you get started in real estate?
1: So it's an interesting story. Um, before getting involved in the multifamily side, I had only ever purchased two homes. My first home, and I sold it and bought the home we're currently in. <laughs> and I used to run a uh, buy-pay-here car lot. Do you know what that is? It's um, for people with bad credit or no credit or someone who doesn't want a car to show up on their credit. So they come and buy, we're essentially the bank, 500 down, 1,000 down. And uh, in 2006, we're sitting in there and a, a gentleman walks in and I didn't know him, no one in the office knew him. And he said, oh, I just thought I'd stop by here. I have an 18 unit complex for sale uh, that if I can't sell it, the bank's going to take it back from in, in, I think it was like 45 or 60 days. And so he left me a packet and I, you know, I like numbers. I like businesses, you know, kind of when you, when you learn how to run a a business, there's certain things that you do. So then you can plug almost any business into it. So it doesn't matter what product you're selling. It just matters that you run it right by these. So I was like, well, look at the numbers. I looked at them. I was like, you know, that's interesting. Um, I grew up, my dad was a painter and we had done some construction work. So I know how to build things and, do some electrical work and all that. But I had never flipped a house. I'd never flipped apartment, Uh, really had never even considered real estate until that packet landed on my desk. And so I I took it. um, I reworked some of it and I sent it to one of the bankers that uh, we had worked with for 10 years. I used to own a a soy company with my brother and um, they came back and said, no, I was like, well why well that's not our market we don't do you know deferred maintenance and high occupancy apartments it's like oh okay so I was like you know i'm learning some of the terms now it's like oh i never even thought about that so i went to the second bank third fourth and fifth bank and they all said no so all the banks i had worked with that i had literally ran through millions of dollars of gross you know netting out different monies but all of them said, no. And I was like, well, this is a really good deal. So finally the fifth banker said, we'll go see uh, this gentleman named Jack Smith over at a small community bank. So I called up Jack and I could tell from his voice, he was a little older. Um, so I said, Jack, you know, I'd like to come see you. I got this deal. He says, well, you come see me. And he said, I want you to bring two things. I was like, okay, what do you want? He said, bring one year tax return and bring your wife. I like,
0: <laughs> Smart man. nothing against
1: my wife. I mean, she's way smarter and way better looking than I am. So, you know, it was like, okay, well, so we went in and, you know, I got this 18 unit, I got the packet, I've got all my numbers set, you know, there in front of me. And he kind of looks at them for a second and reads through them and, and he says, okay. And he asked us like 10 personal questions. You know, how's your marriage? How's life? And then Feely and Jason, he just turns, I can't turn too much. I I did take my neck brace off. I've had neck surgery, but he turns around and puts his back to me and my wife. And I'm looking at my wife going like, what do we do? I mean, you know, if I just turned around and in mid conversation with you all and put my back and started typing on my computer, you would be like, wow, this guy's. Is that a no? Yeah. yeah. What's up? I mean, what's up? So he types and about three minutes later, he turns around and hands me a letter and says, okay, 100% financing, 100% renovation. We can close within 30 days. What? Wow. I was like, wow, that's incredible. Now, 2006, <laughs> I don't know of any bank out there that does 100% renovation <laughs> yeah. loan. I, I, uh, I don't care if it's $50,000 or 5000 or $5 million. I don't know anyone that does financing like that. Well, that, that is <laughs> remarkable. I was so, going to
0: say, can I have his number? Cause I'd love that, those terms. <laughs> those
1: terms. Exactly. I would I, well, they, unfortunately, <laughs> I did deals with him later and I didn't have those same terms. Uh, yeah. But this is really cool. I'll make it quick. So bought that complex. 32, 33 days later, I closed the 12 unit right behind it. So it originally was built, it was a 30 unit and then it was split and went went back to Jack and said, Hey, this guy wants to sell. And so he gave me hundred percent finance, hundred percent renovation. So I had 30 units sitting at the dead end of a street from the point that I closed the first deal and renovated and started leasing up the property. I sold it in eight and a half months. Wow. I made made a little over $250,000 off my first deal. Incredible.
0: Wow. But the thing
1: is, I did not know what I was doing. Yeah, I have, a, I have a bunch of questions just listening yes. to what you're
2: saying here. First, it, it, it's amazing. Everybody's looking for off-market deals. It's all you hear these days. And, and you have the guy just walk into your place. So I guess selling product and seeing that you're open to, to buy and, and be open opportunity for other people will spawn other opportunities, I, I, would, I would guess, right? Yeah.
1: And, you know, and in that too, you know, if you're told no by the first person, don't quit. Too many people get into real estate or really just in life and they are passionate about something and they want to do it. They want to do real estate. They want to learn and they know everything. And they go to someone to raise private money or they go to the bank and they're told no. And they go home kind of like with a little puppy dog, you know, down like this with their tail between their legs going, well, nobody believes in me. No. One person said no. Just one. I mean, how many other people are there? So keep, doing what you want to do, don't step back and quit because it's hard or someone says no.
2: And so when you were looking at this deal, right, and, and you said two things that, that stuck out to me. Well, at the end, you said you didn't know what you were doing. But prior to that, you said you, you had the paper and the packet and you reworked it because you knew it was a good deal. Well, without knowing what you're doing, what stood out to you and how did you know what to rework?
1: Well, so just looking at, I mean, he wanted you know, like $60,000 for a 18 unit complex that was renting for $500 a month. So I just ran my numbers on how, what would be the debt load? What would that cost versus what it was bringing in? And so you'll appreciate this. The day I closed that I sold the complex after eight and a half months, I had an event um, at a friend's house who had developed Food Lion shopping centers. I, y'all don't have Food Lion up north, but so. Food Lion in the south, you know, 40 years ago up till the last, you know, even now was one of the most prominent food chains. She's a very successful, very successful lady. And as I'm leaving her event, she says, Hey Nathan, she said, you know, congratulations on the deal. You closed. just curious. What was the cap rate? And in my mind, I, I, immediately start thinking cap rate. Uh, is that the roof <laughs> where those little vents are in about 15 seconds into it? She realizes that I'm trying to come up with <laughs> the best answer I can. And she said, please tell me you didn't go a half a million dollars in debt. Even though it was a hundred percent financing, I still had a personal guarantee. Please tell me you didn't do that without knowing what a cap rate is. And I was like, I don't know what a cap rate is, so I'm gonna have to. Go,
0: you're making me cry right
1: now. I'm gonna have to go figure out what it is. So I do not suggest to anyone that they try real estate or anything that way. I mean, understand what you're doing. It, you know, hindsight on that one. But the second deal burned, got me bad because, you know, I'm riding high on this. Hey, I did this great, and I buy a complex, and it wasn't zoned properly, but my attorney, the surveyor, everyone said it was grandfathered in. And what I learned real quick is if you're going to be in real estate, you better know what you're doing in the, in the niche that you're in. So that second deal, I lost $150,000 in 18 months because when I went to pull my building permits to renovate, the permit department said, Oh, your setback, the distance between two buildings since you're not grandfathered in is 15 feet too short. Mm. I was like, what do you mean? Well you got to tear down half of your building or you've got to buy the other building from another person so you can cure the setback. Now, you know, at the second deal, I'm thinking, wow, you know, so I go to the title insurance company and file a claim. They deny it. I, you know, so now I'm sitting with a complex that I'm paying monthly on. And, you know, at the time, I didn't know in 18 months I was gonna be able to, to finally square it away. But, you know, if, if I tell people when I go out and talk and do, you know, webinars and, and podcasts and things like that, Always call the zoning department. I don't care if it's a single family home, I don't care if it's a trailer on 30 acres sitting in the middle of it, or a you know, strip mall or multifamily. If you don't call the zoning department and get a letter on their letterhead signed by them saying that this plat and this number and this address is grandfathered to this. 10 unit complex or this strip mall, don't be surprised after you buy it that what your broker, attorney, and all everyone said is not accurate.
0: And even yep. if you go to the zoning department and they verbally tell you that right. you can do this, because yep. we're dealing with that right now,
1: mm-hmm.
0: unless you get it actually in black and white, you're Yeah. Hey, yeah. you know what you know what
1: verbal you know what that verbal information in five dollars will get you? <laughs> ready to a hear cu- a cup of expensive coffee true. <laughs> yes that's, yes that's yes true.
0: but the thing is okay so you had one explosively amazing deal your first deal and you had one not so much after it but the key takeaway for our listeners in this and please please take this away from this story is that nathan took action not knowing what he didn't know he still took action he's an entrepreneur at heart he's a business owner at heart so he knew what he knew and he knew numbers and he knew it was a good deal but you know with the second one you didn't know with the zoning but you took action that's the huge part and we love we
1: love that yeah we Go ahead, Jason. I'm no, sorry. It just
2: seems to be a common theme is that everybody's waiting to know everything. And, but in this business, it constantly evolves. And, you, and you, you never know every question, right? So now you know that question. It's it's probably saved you millions of dollars now over the years of just asking that question from just because of that. So it may, may have hurt then, but now culminating, it, you've probably been able to capitalize it off it off two by now realizing zoning options that were available that maybe you didn't even know were warranted for the property today.
1: Oh, oh yeah. I mean, and that's that you know, kind of don't, don't let um, not knowing hold you back because I still don't know everything about real estate. And and I don't think you can, I don't think you can ever know everything about real estate, even in the niche. If you're in a niche, you can try to find out everything and do your due diligence and do everything like that. But you know, that, that fear of taking that step keeps 99% of people out of the game. They'll go to seminars, they'll listen to your podcast, they'll do everything. They'll spend, you know, I talked to a guy the other day, he'd spent $80,000 in the last 15 years of going to real estate, educational, online, offline, paying consultants and coaches. And I said, man, that is a ton of money to invest in real estate education. How many deals have you done? you know what he said? Zero. Oh, yep. I, was I, was aff- I was afraid of that. Yep. I, I was like, yeah. Why would you spend $80,000? So I told him, look, I'll, you know, for the next, you know, year, I'll give you a discount of 50% and only charge you 40 and help you actually do a deal. Yeah,
2: <laughs>
0: that's right. Yes. That's right. Oh hey, but, the, the
2: comfort of going to, or just learning or education, it can be a point where you can find comfort in it, but this business, you have to put yourself into uncomfortable positions at points yep. to be able to take that point because mm-hmm. you're going to be into the unknown. It's just happened, but this isn't magic. Everybody owns a home at some point. There's people living everywhere. You know, it's this is not magic out there, yeah. everyone. So we we all can do this. It was Peewee and I figured it out. We so, can <laughs> so. <laughs> figure it out. You figure well, it that's out. what we said. So yeah, we can figure it out. We're, we're we're, we're pretty confident you're going to be okay too. So, so
1: what but you all make mistakes as well. Right. I mean, oh, you, exactly.
2: all you, the you time. Don't, you,
1: don't mean, you don't mean to, yep. but you, you get in situations where you, you do something and then you learn from it. Well, it's,
2: it's a reactionary business. You try and prepare yourself for as much as you can. And each time you act hopefully it falls in line, but most likely maybe you'll be 90% on, maybe you'll be 60% on you course correct for the rest.
0: Exactly. And there's no failures or mistakes. It's all lessons learned. As long as you learn the lesson, yep. then go from there. So what do you typically tell people you do when they ask you?
1: I tell them I do whatever my wife tells me to do. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead, I've, been, I've been married for almost 15 years. And I learned that, you know, you can be happy or you can be right in a re- in my relationship and your relationship as well. So I just decided I needed to be happy. <laughs> so I, no, I'm just, I, I'm not, not joking per se, I do with my <laughs> wife. Um, you know, I tell people what I do now, you know, I am a real estate investor, but I look at my role more as a facilitator because I'm doing, I'm finding deals that are off the market I'm finding deals that people have, you know, there's issues there that they owe more on it than it's worth currently. But if it were renovated and stabilized, they owe half of what it's worth. So, and a lot of people don't understand this, You know, if you want to be really successful in real estate, in my opinion, it's built on relationships. It's built on getting to know brokers. It's getting on, you know, knowing people in the community, uh, meeting property management companies, surveyors, appraisers, attorney, you know, we call them dirt lawyers, attorneys. So when they hear of this, what you're looking for, And I do want to talk about that, you know, what's the term of real estate investor. So I kind of tell people that's what I do is, yes, I am a real estate investor, but the way I find it is through relationships, facilitating, helping someone get what they want in return, then they'll help me get what I want.
0: That's amazing. So in order to run your business, you give value. That's great. Value. Add value. Add value
2: a new investor and, and you're just trying to create these relationships and maybe you haven't had the track record that you have over the course of the last years. How would you approach this as a new investor to, to open the door to you know, a lawyer, a, an accountant, a cost segregation person?
1: Yeah. The, the most important is defining your niche. So a lot of new investors that I meet and some investors that have been around for a while but haven't done very well is if you walk into Baskin Robbins, an ice cream store, and say, I would like a scoop of ice cream. What are they going to say back to you? What kind? What mm-hmm. flavor? How many scoops? You want a cup, a cone, waffle? Most people go out and say, well, I, I, I'm a real estate investor. Okay. You, raw dirt, commercial, residential, flipper, keeping, you know, south side of town, north side of town, out, out of state. So if you wanna be a real estate investor, what are you a real estate investor in? My real estate investing is high deferred maintenance, high occupancy, class C, within, in and within 30 to 45 miles of Winston-Salem, North Carolina. So when I am talking to a banker, a broker, whoever, and they say, what do you, what are you looking for? I tell them exactly what I'm looking for. Because if you email a broker, commercial broker, and say, I'm a real estate investor, if you find any good deals, send them to me. They're never gonna email you, they might say, oh, thanks for the email, but they're not gonna email you because what kind of good deal are you looking for? And so I think that holds a lot of people back both in, in finding deals and finding investors. Cause if you go to an investor and say, well, I just want to be, you know, will you invest $50,000 with me? Most likely, and it's probably a family member. Most likely the answer is no. But in investing, if you go to that family member or a friend or business associate and say, you know, I've identified this area, there's a lot of houses or there a lot of duplexes or apartments and with a $50,000 investment or $10,000 or $100,000, we can do this, this, and this. Versus going to them and saying, I just want to be a real estate investor. Which one are you going to get more from? Yep. Absolutely agree. You know, and so I think that's the most important. If someone is listing this and getting started, what type of real estate do you want to do? Now, that doesn't mean that you have to do that for the rest of your life, but that's where you have to start. I mean people all the time, "Oh, I want to I want to have a 20 million dollar portfolio in the next 10 10 years." Well, how much do you have right now? "Oh, I don't have anything." Well, go get a $50,000 house. You know, do do what you can and build off of it. So that's my advice on that.
0: I love, love that it. advice. I love it. I mean, it basically tells it's mm-hmm. what he's basically saying is have your elevator speech. Have one. Like it'll it can change and it will change. But have something to tell your investors, have something to tell your friends and family members, have something to tell the world because you should be talking to people on a constant basis about what you're doing because you never know where a deal, an investor or anything that can help you will come from. So you should have this information on the top of your head. Like, for instance, Jason, what kind of investor are you?
2: A multifamily investor. Uh, we invest in 75 to 150 units in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, BC assets, and the uh, same kind of parameters. We're just trying to be specific because we found that if you're outside of that realm, well, yeah, it's, uh, I, I was thinking, Peeley and I worked in the bar industry a long time ago, and we used to work in this crazy bar where thousands of people would come literally daily, and we would have uh, a lot of out-of-towners or a lot of people from, uh, from Europe come over and just say, I want a beer. And so at this point, we just started, just, we just give them a beer. At the same, by the time it was so crazy to just go through the conversation a beer was, just give them a beer that, because it, they didn't care which one. So, okay,
1: here's your beer. That's you ho- you hopefully got them the most expensive one, right? That's what you do. Yep. So, yep. You pushing my. Idea, right I would throat. just,
0: I would just pour the Coors Light.
1: Oh yeah, whatever, is <laughs> available at that
0: whatever point. Good, reach.
2: Yep. Seven <laughs> deep at a bar. Well, we'll, uh, another day for that. But let's go to where you're focused on today. We yes. talked about where your where your niche is.
1: How does your business
2: look today? Yourself, your team.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I I am at heart a flipper. So, in the in the area I'm in right now, the market is really high and I've been doing this for 11 years now, and I've seen this happen now, this is the fourth time. So when the stock market goes up and money starts being made in an economy like we have today, investors from the the New York, New Jersey, Florida, California, and some from other areas start coming into the South and buying properties for, in my opinion, prices that can never hold. Then, when the economy starts going back down and they realize really where they are and what's going on, they dump the property. So, where I am right now, as I'm, I'm holding, I'm consulting on various deals, I'm still looking, but you know, I go in and I look at a property that's worth you know, at most $15,000 a door because by the time you put 12 in it and got 27 in it, and it's worth 34 on its best day so i'm willing to pay 15 and somebody's coming in and paying 32 for that door and they still have to renovate i can't compete with those numbers because it's not going to work so but it will it will come back down if it holds the way it has it will come back down and then they'll sell those door they'll sell those properties for 15 16 18 20 a door and there's been some work done on them um so I do currently have, I got three complexes that I I have in a Fannie Mae non-recourse properties, about 166 (laughs) units, Um, but they are all under contract to sell. So, you know, I buy them, I renovate them. Uh, When I buy a property, the day I close on a property, I list it on LoopNet for sale and I say, this is where I am on this. Once these renovations are finished, this is the price. Once it gets to 50% 50% occupancy and pay, you know, this is 60, 70, 80. And so, you know, some I've had, I've sold a month after I bought it. Some I've sold two years after I bought it. But it gets to a point where once I get a property stabilized, I'll switch it over into a Fannie Mae non-recourse note because I get better protection, I get better rates, better payments. And then if then I don't have to sell the property and I'll keep it in cash flow it until the economy goes up like it has now. And then I'll sell it.
2: So when you're looking at the market cycle, you've been through now four, what's a telltale sign for you besides just pricing, prices dropping on people trying to to maybe dump something that they've, they've overpaid for. What's, what's some other telltale signs you you can see for a market starting to go down?
1: You know, for me, this is going to be really like, Weird, but we have a John Deere Hitachi plant two miles from my house and they build those big earth movers. The, the big, I don't even know what you call I got the big claw on them and they move, you know, six feet of dirt at one time and dig down. What are those called? I played with them. The Taka to- toys growing up. Excavators. Excavators. Yeah. yeah, that's it. So I, every time the economy has gone down that lot starts slowing down as how many they have like right now their lot is packed they got them stacked on top of each other they've got them everywhere they can't even make them fast enough they got trucks in and out there all the time in 2007 and 8 they had four of them on their lot so big empty and i was like that's weird why are they not and then then You saw, so that's one of my indicators is just watching that because (laughs) the other way you can watch it is new construction. Uh, You can also see it in in your building and permit department. If you wanna know what's going on in your local economy, go down to the building inspections and look at how many projects they have on their table that they're inspecting currently. In 2008, nine and 10, in Forsyth county there were zero permits applied for for housing developments right now down at that same building department they've brought in three or four of the guys that have retired and working them two or three four days a week because they can't keep up so you can watch the stock market too but the I've learned that the stock market can, can give you a false read on at least the building, the real estate side, but you know, look at, look at what's being built in your area, but go to the, the building inspections department and see are people, because if they're not pulling building permits, that means they can't get the money. And when the money starts to dry up, that banks are, banks and investors are holding out. Invaluable mm-hmm. tips.
0: Yeah,
2: That was awesome. Yeah, that was great. Thank Amazing you for Amazing touch that.
0: right there. And I also want to go back to your systems. You, ca- you gave us a little clue into what, how, you, how you work your systems. So Jason and I, we acquire apartment buildings, and we also fix and flip. Uh, but you have taken the both and sort of just meshed them together. You flip apartment buildings. So tell us your, tell us your systems with from acquisition to, to closing.
1: To disposition. Yeah. So, you know, in the, in the, you know, approach this if you're flipping the same way as if you're going to keep it, because the assumption has to be, if I don't sell it, I've got to keep it.
0: That's amazing. And you have multiple exit strategies, which is.
1: And you have multiple. And I tell, you know, tell people, I say, well, you can flip a property, but just flip it to another LLC that you own still flipping it is not necessarily how you started out to, but, you know, in, in, I think this is common, hopefully common knowledge amongst, at least on the flipping side, you make your money when you buy the property, not when you sell it. Yes. Because if you don't buy it right and you don't do your due diligence right, you know, I meet people all the time. Oh, I I can get this rent up to a thousand dollars a month. So I can pay this much. And I was like, well, what's the average complex in that area renting for? Oh, 650 a month. And I said, well, what's the high? 800 And I was like, so you think you're going to get to 1000 No one in the area is even close to 1000 So you're literally making up numbers to make this deal work. And if they don't listen to that in three months, six months, nine months, they're going to be so sorely disappointed because they're going to be renting those units for 650 to maybe seven, 750. So the process for me is when I look at a complex, <clears throat> I run my numbers kind of backwards. I say, what's the most this complex could be worth? Conservative numbers. So we'll say 2 million. Well, how much then am I going to owe in taxes, brokerage fees, You know, any of those that's going to have to come out, and I subtract that from the two million. Well, then I say, How much renovations need to be done? And whatever my renovation number, now we'll talk about some due diligence to make sure you get the right renovation. Subtract the renovation number, um, subtract your profit. How much do you want to make off of this? and I try to make at least 20% off a deal. So if we got a complex that's 2 million, it's gonna be 100,000 in taxes and brokerage fees, 500,000 in renovations and 400,000 of profit, I can't pay more than a million for that complex. Because if I do, the only thing I'm gonna cut into is my profit, Mm -hmm. because renovations gonna change and fees aren't gonna change so someone comes into a deal like that and they say oh well I can pay 1.3 million for this deal and still make money yes you can but you only can make a hundred thousand if nothing goes wrong because the other numbers aren't changeable so that's how I run the first system that I look at is not what will they sell it for that number doesn't matter so you take the the fourth deal I ever did I went over and, and, and walked through the complex and just did a quick and by this time, I, I'd figured out what I was doing. So I went through as a 60-unit complex, came up with all my numbers, figured out what my renovation costs were going to be. They were asking 2.2 million for the property. The property on its best day was worth 2.6 million. But it needed almost a million dollars' worth of renovations. So I wrote a contract. I didn't call the broker. I just wrote the contract out for a $1,075,000 faxed it to him. Didn't get a phone call. didn't get an email, but 15 minutes later, I had a signed contract back accepting my offer. <laughs> no counter. No, nothing. They, they accepted it. What I did in that offer, is I told the I wrote out the offer, but then I, I put three sheets behind the offer and said, Look, I don't know you, you don't know me, and I don't mean to offend you. But for me to make money on this, this is what I have to have. This is the most I can pay for this, and this is why. And I gave them a detailed sheet of all the expenses that I was going to incur to get this property back up to a rentable um, rate. And so I, I had it all detailed how much the roof was going to cost, how much the windows were going to cost, how much the parking lots were going to cost, how much the renovations per unit, all that. So I explained to them and they took it. So if you're going to cut someone's legs, mm-hmm. if you smell blood in the water, right, you know, be nice to them. Obviously you don't, you're not trying to be rude, but tell them, give them in writing, why you're offering them $100,000 for their $300,000 property. Because then it gives them something tangible that they can look at and say, you know what, this is right. Yeah. And then they have to make a decision. Do they want to sell it for 100000 or try to get someone that comes along who doesn't know what they're doing to pay them more money?
2: Yeah, that's, that's a great point because they you might not actually even be getting that that letter to the end person, the seller too. So you're, you're setting up the person who is gonna present the deal with how to present the deal so it doesn't just look like you're lowballing them. And
1: yeah. so it protects the broker too, right? The broker yes. doesn't have to go, the broker can say, oh look, they, he's already explained or she's already explained why they're making this offer.
0: Yeah. Brokers appreciate that so much no matter what aspect of real estate you're in. If you're gonna come with a lower offer than what is at list price, have an explanation. That's yeah. key,
1: key.
2: So how are you trying to improve your business today?
1: Um, so my number one rule that, that I've got burned on, that I've lost money on, um, 99% of my mistakes, errors, things I didn't know about. So mistakes I made, but mistakes that were made that I didn't even know about, like the zoning issue, is due diligence. So from the period that they accept your offer to the period that your due diligence closes, not the property closing, but the 30 days or 45 or 60 or whatever you negotiate. Because if you miss rotten floors underneath the toilets, or you miss that a septic pipe is stopped up underneath a building, which I missed, talk to every tenant, every tenant said nothing that their toilet and bathtub weekly was backing up with raw sewage.
2: Hmm.
1: So I close, I close on a deal and the I close on a Friday afternoon, Friday night at two o'clock, my two AM, my phone is blowing up tenants complaining about raw sewage. It was like, how did I miss that? I mean, like we had our questionnaires, that everybody went through and you know by the next deal i had figured out when you buy a a complex or look looking at buying a complex go get two years worth of city complaints housing authority in different areas call it different things but go get two years worth and sit down with an excel sheet like your rent roll and delete all your numbers from the rent roll and enter in all the mistake, all the code violations, everything that's been cited for the last two years. You know what you'll find patterns. Okay. If you see raw sewage, raw sewage, raw sewage, do you know what you know what that means. There's a pipe somewhere stopped up. In, if you don't find that, you will spend eighty four thousand dollars moving twenty tenants out from the bottom, jackhammering the two feet or two and a half feet of the concrete to dig three feet down to replace the main sewer line underneath the complex, because it has collapsed in multiple places with rock and tree limbs and all kinds of stuff. And you lose money on the deal. So, you know, I found ways like electricity. If there's a unit that doesn't have power on assume that you're going to have to replace the breaker box, all the wiring in the outside meter box and the line to uh, where it comes in. Then if the owner can tell you and show you that that's not an issue, then you can subtract it. But if you can't verify it, either the owner's going to pay for it because you're going to ask for a reduction in price or who else can pay for it. The only other person to pay for it is you. You.
2: You. Yes. Do you you use property managers since you have such a short hold or is all the emphasis based on uh, what you're doing with your team?
1: uh, I have have team members that come in and work with me. If I end up keeping a property long-term, I'll put it into a third-party management company. Uh, on the short term, I have the folks that, that work with me that go in to help re-establish these communities. Uh, you know, sometimes we go in and we have to evict everyone. And that's hard. That's, you know, when you get into buying a property, but, you know, you just know there's no way to turn the community, the, the people in the units around. It's just too much. You know, sometimes I plan on You know, even if a complex is 80% occupied, but every time you drive up there, there's not just a little bit of trash. There's trash everywhere, and there's tags on the sides of the building, and windows are broken, and doors are kicked in, and there's, you know, broken down cars. There's no renovation you can do that's going to change that.
2: Agreed.
1: You know, you've got to go in and make the hard choice to help replace those people, and if they won't move on their own, then you have to evict them. Here's real quick, like, here's something that you always, I mean, these are always things like, you know, learn, like, if you're looking at buying a property, the first thing you want to tell an owner up front is do not run out and get everyone to sign a 12-month lease. I don't, no, don't do that. Please, because it happened to me one time, you know, a guy runs out and gets everybody to sign a new 12-month lease for the rent rate that he was currently charging. (laughs) You're stuck with it. There's nothing you can do. The only way you can evict someone then is if they miss a payment. But if they're month to month, you can evict them based on leases up and you want them to move. So, you know, those are the things like, I mean, when you start dealing with due diligence, there are like three or four, five dozen things that you really need to make sure you know and that you know them well or at least have a checklist. I mean, I don't, I can't remember all of this stuff all the time. So, you know, I got a due diligence checklist that I go through to make sure. Um, rent rolls. Have you all ever bought a complex that the rent roll said it was collecting this much money only to buy it and find out that it wasn't collecting as much on the rent roll? Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. We've yes. Made a mistake. Yep. yes. So in all 50 states, do you know what a rent roll is worth when it comes to due diligence side? Even a verified, signed by an accountant, mm-hmm. signed by the property manager, do you, do you know what a rent roll is worth? Absolutely. It's worth your verbal commitment and $5 for a cup of coffee yeah. and the paper it's written on. Yep, Because it. all a rent roll is, rent roll is simply a breakdown of the lease. It says that Unit A has this tenant in it and the lease says they'll pay this much a month. They signed it here and it ends here and their security deposit is this. It does not mean they're paying that much. It does not mean that they've paid that month.
2: If there's someone listening who's trying to figure out, well, amazing. How do I I prevent myself from making all these mistakes because I don't know what what kind of checklist to build out where would be somewhere they they could they could start with with building out a checklist or, or or leaning on someone for a checklist
1: yeah well so i you know i do do consulting in that but i also have an online course uh they could go i don't know do you guys have do, do y'all i know y'all have your podcast and i don't i don't ever want to step on cuz thank you very much go for it.
2: having me 100% go for it we go we nice. have a product but we haven't gone out to market yet so it will be here or to it's a pod- podcast
1: Heck yeah, go to apartments.nathantaber.com, and that's uh, apartments. in Nathan T A B O R. I don't know who it's, you know, pronounced E R, but T A B O R.com. And my course is simply it's really minus focused. I don't tell you a little bit how to find properties, uh, but it's more like you know relationship. Uh, my core is defining your niche, defining your business plan, and due diligence. That is really, I got other little chapters in the book and, and on the course. but And the book
2: is called How to Find Finance Fix and Flip Apartments. If anybody was uh, thinking we were outside that box, we're right there. Yeah.
1: We're Look cool. it up. I'm reading it now. Yeah, read. In due diligence, whether you're doing single family or whatever type of real estate you're doing, due diligence is the key you know, especially in the South, you know, you go to buy raw land in the South, you need to know if there's a, a dump from 30 years ago where a construction guy was looking at 53 acres and right in the middle of the 53 acres had been a, a construction dump. Tires, cement blocks, wood. And, but it had, it had not been disclosed. We just happened, it was like, what's that weird mound there and a neighbor, 80 year old neighbor walked over and said, oh, you better be careful. There's like, okay. how would you even know that?
0: You wouldn't unless yep. you happen to yep. have that 80 year old neighbor walk by.
1: Well, you know, so then you could, you could you know look around the property, but like, you know, you're looking at a multifamily, what you all do, who owns the mailboxes? Who owns the fire hydrants? The assumption is that fire hydrants are owned by the town or municipality or, you know, whoever's running that area, and that is unfortunately not true.
0: Yeah, Never assume.
1: Um, fire hydrants on private property are the responsibility of the property owner in their expense. I've never, thankfully, I've never gotten burned with that one. Okay. I know some people who have. But that why would you think about stuff like that, right? But if you're going to do this and you want to do it, full time and you wanna do it serious and make money, you gotta make sure you know those steps. In the rent roll, the only way to verify cash flow, bank statements. That's the only, and if someone will not give you their bank statements, automatically assume. I've had to oh, I've got other stuff. Look, I don't care about your other stuff. I wanna see what you brought in from this complex and what you deposited. I don't even I don't even believe tax returns because the you know what the IRS doesn't care about if you want to be the criminal in the sense and put that you made more than you actually did the IRS doesn't care about that part what they care about is if you underreport so if a complex is bring in fifty thousand but they reported that they collected a hundred thousand so they could keep in line with their rent roll you still can't verify the only way you can verify cash flow is through bank statements. And if you buy a complex and you don't see the bank statement, don't be shocked if, if it's, if you collect less than what it says you should on the rent roll.
0: So always verify. Thank you so much for that. So before we let you go, we have four more questions we'd like to ask. So what is your why?
1: What is my why? My why today for me at forty four is helping people understand you know the process of the investing, how to flip, but really understanding just the process of kind of like the work life balance like if your desire is only to make money it 's not going to end well for you been there, done that, got the t shirt got the scars. <laughs> money can be a motive right but your why should be you know after i started doing this i did it for the first few years it was all about the money but you know then i realized this is a community this is someone's home that you're dealing with this is where people i mean you know, I've, I've bought complexes where people lived there for 45 years and so the why in this is for me is just helping so helping the tenants helping investors Helping people who work for me, making sure they're paid right, not trying to undercut, always try to save money, but not, you know, cheating someone, not being unfair in my pricing. And then getting people to understand, like, you know, if you're married and you have kids, that should be your number one responsibility. Because you'll wake up one day and have money and they'll be grown and gone. Sorry, that was a long answer to your short. Oh, no, it's great. We perfect. should have
2: should have you back to, to touch on work life balance because it, it's an integral part that that you can't factor out because there's always something that gets pushed aside if you're not finding that balance. So thank you for that.
1: Yeah.
0: Do you have a morning routine?
1: Uh, I do have a morning routine, um, and I I don't. You know, I never mean to offend anybody, but I get up and and I try to every morning. I try to read a proverb out of the Bible. And it's amazing. Yes, it's, it's the scripture and it's God's word. But if you take the Proverbs out, you know, a soft answer turns away wrath. Well, you know, relationship wise, if you're kind in your words and in my book, I talk about this, I could have saved probably $300,000 on legal fees if I would had just shut my mouth for a minute and listened and in, but instead of immediately, I'm right, you're wrong, and that's never the case. So I like to continuously read over and over to, hey, these are good things to implement in my life.
0: Well, there's a reason yeah. why so many people have and continue to have um, follow that book. So
1: I was, I
2: was reading uh, yeah. well, you read, the, the light ahead. switch, and uh, what was the uh, the Chris fault? Never split the difference. Two books of, about. The, the power of listening and yeah, you couldn't be more correct than that.
1: Something about having two ears and one mouth. We need yep. to remember that, right?
2: Yeah. <laughs> what, what are some words you live by?
1: Um, you know, business wise, my, my slogan above my desk is uh, the answer is always no until you ask. Um, don't automatically assume that someone is going to say no. Um, I've been told no many times in my life, but Jason, just like you and and Feely, you had to ask her to marry you, right? And you married way above your means. I know. <laughs> <laughs> We've, Aww, so did cool. I. Covered that. Yep. But if I had never asked my wife to marry me, she would have never said yes. Had I stopped at the fifth bank, I never would have been told yes. So if you want something don't take no for an answer. Don't be a stalker. Don't be, you know, don't do any of that, but you know, go for it. You stalked him. Well, I I say my wife did. She didn't. I I said she wouldn't leave me alone. She kept (laughs) going up. So I finally was like, well, if she's going to hang around this much, I guess I'll marry her, but that's not. Exactly.
0: great. (laughs) Uh, This has been amazing. So So you gave us your email address already, your website. Is there any other ways people can contact you?
1: Uh, you know, I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, if you just put in Nathan Tabor, I don't have a goatee on my pictures and only
2: for podcasts.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, as soon as I get rid of my, my neck brace, you know, here my neck surgery two weeks ago, it will be gone. Um, but those are the ways they can get in touch with me. Um, you know, and I'll be more than happy to, to answer, you know, I do a free 30 minute phone call, just to, you know, talk with people, find out where they are, or what most people have really in their mind, it's a big challenge, but it's really a small one. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: And if you can help them just connect one dot to another, and if they'll do it, they can get started. Um, I appreciate you all having me uh, yeah. on here on your show, and um, I appreciate uh, the time. Does, does the announcement you shared with me beforehand, is that does your... Podcast oh, and know that yet. I, I don't know if we've talked about it yet, but we yeah, Sure,
0: I think yeah. we've sort of talked on about yeah. it.
1: Can I be the one to tell everyone? Go for or, it. We love it.
0: Please congratulate. We congratulations, so We're
1: congratulations all... on uh, the coming child. Thank you.
0: Thank you. you. Um,
1: I hope that that it is um, a healthy. And that during this time you guys don't kill each other and <laughs>
0: that, <laughs> Or and my the, pregnancy brain doesn't like your pregnancy kill brain doesn't, yeah.
1: doesn't kick. <laughs> me. Um, congratulations on the child. When when you're twenty weeks, so I don't have to figure it out in the July. month. July. Yep. July.
2: So we'll have a July, August, and September baby. So it's gonna be a busy summer.
1: Yes. Well, I was born August the 29th. So, if you could oh, hold off 20. to that, and, and in my honor, just you. Know, <laughs> 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 we'll, you we'll talk to, talk to baby and see see, see what they think about that. <laughs> well, Nathan, incredible! Yeah, thank, thank you so much, Really, Jason. Thank thank you very much. Appreciate it.
0: Well, this is the REI Foundation podcast with Jason Peely. Thank you again so much to Nathan Tabor for being on our show, and thank you to you all for listening. We're so grateful. Have a good one. Bye now. Thanks for tuning in to the REI Foundation Podcast. Check back next time for more awesome tips and strategies to launch your new you in real estate.